This is Spartan 117. Anyone hear me? Over. Isolate that signal. Master Chief, you mind telling me what you're doing on that ship? Sir, finishing this fight. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And of course, before we get into today's episode, we just have a few quick updates to go over. So as we know, the Combat Evolved flight tests have been going on for MCC on PC. The field of view looks wide, it looks crazy, but I think a lot of people are having fun with it for the most part. Additionally, we have some Nerf guns coming out through Halo as well. We have the Assault Rifle, we have the Needler, and then we hilariously have a handheld size rocket launcher and finally something i think is really interesting is we are getting this new line of toys that are coming out and people are starting to speculate what's coming from them we're seeing a blend of halo reach and 343 style armors with the spartans and whatnot and we're starting to see like the classic design for the jackal come back and we saw even things like we're seeing a carter helmet a, a cat statue but and a lot of people are thinking that this is truly a, a reintroduction of the, the classic art style. But you got to think some of these could be a legacy series. So it's not confirmed necessarily, but because all these are branded just Halo. A lot of these aren't branded Halo Infinite or anything like mm-hmm. that. Uh, so with that being said, the topic of today, the meat and potatoes, is Bungie. Bungie Studios. So basically, we've spent almost the past year at this point covering a lot of things that Bungie has done within Halo. All of the games, the books, the comics, even a board game. And so now, you know, we're parting ways with Bungie when it comes to their work with Halo. But we didn't just want to leave it at that. So we decided that we wanted to do an episode all about the studio in the history of it, from its its early beginnings in 1991 all the way till 2020, you know, as we're recording this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll start with a little bit about the studio. Bungie Studios is an American video game development and production company based out of Bellevue, Washington. Since 1991, the game studio has grown to over 600 employees, developing over 16 games. The studio has produced billions of dollars in revenue over the years and is regarded by many gamers as one of the best studios in the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course we'll go over this throughout the episode but you know regardless of the ups and downs that Bungie has had you can't deny their mark in gaming culture so let's go over some of actually all of the games that Bungie has developed since 1991 so we'll start with operation desert storm in 1991 then we had minotaur the labyrinths of crete in 1992 pathways into darkness in 1993 marathon in 1994 marathon 2 durandal In 1995, we have Marathon Infinity in 1996, Myth Fallen Lords in 97, Myth 2 Soul Blighter in 98, Oni in 2001, along with Halo Combat Evolved in 2001, Halo 2 in 2004, Halo 3 in 2007, Halo 3 ODST in 2009, and Halo Reach in 2010. Then moving on from Halo itself, we have moving on from Halo altogether, we have Destiny, which was released in 2014, Destiny 2 released in 2017, and then to be decided on when it's going to be released, we have Matter, which we know little to nothing about. 
about. And now we're on to the history of the studio itself. So starting with day one, Bungie Software Products Corporation would start in the rural Chicago area in 1991. Alex Seropian and Jason Jones met their senior year of college in an AI class at the University of Chicago. Seropian learned that Jones had a computer with 8 megabytes of RAM, and after getting to know each other, they decided to partner up to create games, and, as it turned out, Jones was working on a game and Seropian was looking to start a business. Yeah, I mean, because it was... Seropian didn't want to actually develop games, but he knew at that time you couldn't just be a guy in a suit and, like, fund a studio. You had to learn how to actually code a game in order to start a company. Mm-hmm. So Seropian being the business guy and Jones being the creative guy, they kind of mash well together in this, mm-hmm. kind of completing the parts. And by this point, Seropian had already had a game develop, Operation Desert Storm, which would lead to the company's first release. Mm-hmm. So he was already in development, you know, when they kind of got it started. Yeah. The company would start with Jones and Seropian working out of a one-bedroom apartment in Chicago with initial funding from friends and family. Seropian actually had released a game before Bungie's true formation called Nop. It was like a Pong-style game. Yep, it was literally just Pong, but, you know, Nop backwards. Mm -hmm. So Jason Jones actually dropped out of college before solidifying his role at Bungie. So as I had said before, Seropian didn't like programming at all, but he wanted to create video games and he knew that the only way to create them was to start programming. Luckily, Jason Jones loved to program, which led to the first game that Jason did with Bungie, which was Minotaur, The Labyrinth of Crete, a top-down fantasy dungeon crawler. This game was innovative at the time because it was a multiplayer game based on a network through Apple Talk protocol. This is a lot of things I have no idea what Apple Talk is, but oh well. But this meant that players could easily illegally download it. A few years later, actually... Jones would have a meeting at Bungie asking the employees who had played the game, you know, Minotaur, and almost everyone raised their hands. Jones responded with, and which one of you bought it? Nobody. The game would go on, however, to sell 2,500 copies total. Now, moving on, Bungie would develop their first shooter, Pathways into Darkness, in 1993 their first profitable release. The game would take the gameplay from Minotaur, but essentially with guns. This would also be the first game to win several awards, including Mac Games Adventure Game of the Year and Macworld's Best Role-Playing Game. Jason Jones would get inspiration for the game after playing the new 3D Wolfenstein game. This would go on to sell more than 20,000 copies. And with this, the seeds of Halo would be planted in Bungie's next game. In 1994, Bungie would release their first big hit, Marathon. Marathon's innovation was in allowing the player to look wherever they'd like with the mouse. Marathon would also be their first sci-fi shooter game in their series of obviously upcoming games. Marathon had many similarities with what would become Halo, having the player work with an AI to defend a ship against alien invaders. Marcus Leto described it as the only game that was fun to play on the Mac. Overall, the game would sell a little under 200,000 units. With the success of the game, it would see two more follow-ups with Marathon 2 Durandal, which sold a little under 200,000 units, and Marathon Infinity, which had a little over 200,000 units sold, so all within that same realm. Mm-hmm. And by 1995, Bungie would have a whopping total of five employees. <laughs> but then by 1997, Marty O'Donnell would join Bungie. And we read this in our first episode, but I have to read it again because I absolutely love this quote. And it is from Marty, the elder O'Donnell. Bungie was a total seat of the pants operation at the time. It was a scrappy place, a bunch of guys, pizza boxes, and sweat socks on the floor. 
It was like walking to a frat house or a dorm or something. So I was a professional and they were a bunch of kids just goofing around. That was the impression I got. And of course, I love reading after that, Mark, following that quote, Max Hoberman said that they would always call him the elder statesman just to remind him that he is, in fact, very old. But in 1997, Bungie would release Myth the Fallen Lords on PC and iMac. Myth would be one of the first RTS games to do away with micromanagement. So shortly after the success of Myth, Bungie would release the sequel Myth 2 Soulblighter. But Bungie would soon run into bad luck shipping the game. Over 500,000 units were recalled after it was discovered that if one were to uninstall Myth 2 from their computer, it would wipe the computer clean. And Bungie employees would have to replace the new discs in the old boxes themselves. This mistake would cost the company an estimated $1 million. Additionally, in 1997, Bungie would open their Bungie West office in San Jose, California, and they would start to develop the Oni game. Originally, this game was supposed to be released in 1999, but they were struggling more and more to have the game release on time. Bungie would eventually partner with Take-Two Interactive to help finish the game. Take-Two would actually own 19.9% of Bungie after this deal. So kind of coming in to save their hide, Mm -hmm. had to give up a big share for them. You know, it's kind of the trade, like, we don't have cash, we're strapped, so you get a chunk of the company. They they came in and did the same thing with Bioshock, too. That's what got Bioshock back on their feet to help that uh, get published. Hmm. Sweet. Bungie West would end up closing in 2000 after the Microsoft purchase of Bungie. Some employees would stay with Bungie and move to their office in Washington, while others would make their departure. This would also leave Take-Two with the total rights to Oni and the Myth IPs. Oni would eventually be released on January 29th, 2001 on the PC, Mac, and PlayStation 2. The other Bungie West actually started when Bungie hired Eric Klein Jr. to head their new publishing label. Apparently, Klein wasn't fond of the idea of moving to Chicago, so he convinced Bungie to let him stay in California and open off an office there, though he would leave Bungie in 1998. Bungie was to the point that they had built a fan base, and they would expect fans to want any game that they would release at that point. So they were starting to be able to actually support employees and their families. Jason Jones would state that at this point is when everything started feeling real to him. Though Bungie was releasing successful games, it was imminent that they were going to go under. Jason Jones stated that they only lasted as long as they did because they were being young and stupid. Yeah, and that's really what led them over to now the Halo years. Mm -hmm. And right now we get that Marcus Leto would join Bungie in 1997. Mm. Around 97, three members of Bungie would start to work on their next project, one of them being Marcus Leto, Halo. As we know it by now, Halo had many different iterations before finally settling on a first-person shooter. This was after starting as a real-time strategy game that was essentially a myth sci-fi clone, a third-person shooter kind of like a top-down, over-the-camera feel for it. Mm -hmm. And finally, the first-person shooter that we know it as today, with a little bit of tweaks as Microsoft got their hands on it. Yeah. From then on, the more the gameplay developed, the more they felt like they wanted to be in the boots of the main antagonist, John 117 or Master Chief. Mm -hmm. At this time, Jones was still hands-on with the programming of the games, just working at it pretty much 24-7. Yeah, because he still loved it at that time. There was no real pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they were still getting in new. Like, Microsoft had a hold of them, but they didn't. Like, they basically yeah. went into a different office, but they're like, okay, you can kind of still do whatever you want at this point. And it was still driven by passion. Mm. And around this time, 
Bungie had 12 to 15 employees with an office in South Halstead, Chicago. And of course, in weird traditional Bungie fashion, being the weirdos that they are, the office was actually an old Catholic girl's school. Hmm. And Brian Gerard said that he had seen a photo of it and it looked like a scene out of a horror movie. Yeah, I think Marcus Leto said that there were like rats living in their computers and there was like this giant like drain in the center of the place. It was, they were making do. It's a startup. Mm -hmm. This was before we were redoing all those fancy buildings in Chicago and making them have this Google Facebook feel, you know? Chi Kai Wang had this to say kind of about the culture and going in for an interview. And he says... Quote, as soon as I realized that I was the one who was overdressed, I knew this was the place I wanted to work. Key players like art director Marcus Leto and Robert McLeese looked at my portfolio, and that was about it. After the interview, Jason Jones offered me the job on the spot, and by the end of the interview, we were cussing like old friends. Yeah, I think that's awesome just because, like, again, the culture was still very much a bunch of young kids just trying to have fun, make video games, and kind of look to dominate the world. That's always been their thing. And around this time in 1998, Joe Staten and Chi Kai Wang would join Bungie. Now, as Halo was in development, Bungie was able to land a spot presenting Halo at Macworld 1999 after presenting a demo to Steve Jobs himself. The demo was presented by Steve Jobs and Jason Jones. So Halo had actually gotten its name only a few days prior to the presentation. Originally, it was going to be called Covenant. And then another employee suggested the name Halo. And at first, everyone but Jason Jones hated the name. Jones felt that the name, though, represented the mystery to the universe they were creating. Without any other name sticking like Halo did, Bungie settled on the title. So when Bungie presented Halo for the first time at Macworld 1999... The gaming community was sold. Halo wasn't just going to be a Mac-exclusive game, though. Like most thought it would be, it was actually both for PC and Mac. And I didn't even know that whenever we first did that Combat Evolved episode, because I remember watching an interview with Martin O'Donnell, and he even said that, you know, no, that was just kind of a common misconception because that's where we presented it, so everyone assumed it was just going to be a Mac-exclusive game. But so after this... One of the defining factors for Bungie that would escalate and plague them for 10 years was becoming an internal company at Microsoft. Bungie actually had a lot of companies looking to take them in. Because remember, this is the time where they were running out of money, mm-hmm. so they, they needed to be bought. But they were being selective about who they would go with. Bungie was going broke developing Halo, and they needed to be bought. Luckily, Ed Fries was open to the idea where Ed Fries was, it was a higher up there. He desperately needed launch titles, especially ones that would stand out. So when Microsoft acquired Bungie, Steve Jobs was actually upset with Microsoft and Ed Fries would actually have to go and calm him down. Bungie employees actually didn't know about the deal until it was almost final. Weeks prior to the buyout, employees would start to notice men in suits walking around the office talking with Jones and Seropian. Once the deal was made, Bungie would pack their bags and move to Seattle, Washington. Many hardcore Bungie fans were outraged at this idea, stating that they were selling out. Fans were also worried that their shooter wouldn't work for the console. Jason Jones would say that Microsoft is building a gigantic cannon, pointing it at Sony, and Bungie could be the bullet that could change the gaming industry. Bungie employees would be upset about the buyout before having a screw-the-man kind of mentality now that they're working for the man. When Bungie first moved to their new office in Seattle, they absolutely hated it. They wanted an open space, not one riddled with cubicles and walls and rules, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And so they made Microsoft take out all the cubicles and tear down all the walls. 
Berlin style. Well, I, I just love that they're like, they got so much handed to them. And at the end of the day, they were still like, mm, no. So they had to actually, they made like a construct, like a Microsoft hired construction company to come in and change it. So it was more of like an open space, like mm-hmm. no cubicles or desks or anything. Mm. A lot like you see now with a lot more modern companies. Mm-hmm. Bungie would also be very territorial with Halo. At one point, Ed Fryce didn't even have a key to get into the Bungie office. Though there was some tension, Microsoft would still allow Bungie to be Bungie, letting them tackle games the way they saw fit and allowing them to still retain that college, childlike mentality. Years later, Bungie would get their own office miles away from the Microsoft office, and Microsoft employees wouldn't even be able to enter the building unless they had an appointment. Imagine that your boss and like your boss's employees as well can't come into your office and you're like you're like uh do you have a uh, do you have an appointment nope okay see ya mm-hmm. because they had the security guard jerome and actually listening to him on the bungee podcast years ago he he is hilarious like he talks about all the time people would show up and try to like meet jason jones and like try to find other employees in the parking lot because they just want to meet him and they'd always walk and be like oh, i have an appointment today and he'd just be like you don't have an appointment today. <laughs> yeah, so at this point, Bungie had less than a year to make Halo a console game. There was a lot of pressure to make Halo shine, considering that Microsoft wasn't pushing it as hard as other titles for the Xbox. Because again, this is something they just picked up. They're like, yeah, we'll probably sell some units for this and push push the Xbox a little bit. Now, around this time in 2001, Harold Ryan, Tyson Green, and Luke Timmons would join Bungie. And I believe I think even Eric Arroyo joined in around 2000 or 2001 as well. So a few employees on the Oni team would actually come to the Seattle office to help develop the multiplayer for Halo, which was almost scrapped a few days before they would be able to ship the game out. Eventually, the Oni team and the Phoenix team were absorbed into the Halo team to finish the game in time for the Xbox launch. After many long nights and a constant grind, Halo Combat Evolved would release to the world and become a hit, and solidifying Bungie in the mainstream gaming community. Pete Parsons and Bill O'Brien would also join Bungie in 2002, but Alex Seropian would leave Bungie in 2002 to spend time with his family, but also because of the frustration with Halo's development. After the success of Halo Combat Evolved, Jason Jones would quickly look to create a sequel for the game, saying he felt like he owed it to the studio, even though Martin O'Donnell tried to talk him out of it due to the fact that Jones hates doing sequels. Eventually, the whole studio was on board to create Halo 2, and they had a much bigger budget because Microsoft saw so much potential. So remember we talked to Eric about that, Eric Arroyo, and he said, you know, like we asked what 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 was a huge push for Halo 2, and he said, uh, because Microsoft gave us so much money to do it. Mm-hmm. Now, starting in 2003, we had two more join on the Bungie crew, Chris Carney and Mike Zack. Now, Bungie had more time to sit down and learn what they could do on the Xbox, along with implementing new technologies into creating the game. Bungie would create a new engine for the game, but after their E3 presentation in 2003, they realized it was unusable for the Xbox console and had to scrap everything entirely and start from scratch. This would leave a sour taste in fans' mouths, considering the E3 presentation showed fans a side of the game they never truly saw. Bungie also had to make the Halo 2 multiplayer live up to the campaign experience, causing tension in the studio. Halo 2's multiplayer also had to carry the new Xbox Live, being basically one of the launch titles that 
is like this is the next level of gaming. Mm-hmm. And in 2004, Hao Chen would join the Bungie crew in all their wacky wonders. <laughs> and halfway through Halo 2's development, Jason Jones would leave the Halo team to help the development of the Phoenix Project, ultimately leading up to the fears that Bungie employees had that he would leave the project. Because mm, remember, Marty said, don't do this. You don't like sequels. You're going to bail on it. He's like, no, nah, man, I'm good. And then... And Halfway they, through, he bails. Yeah, they tantalize. Like, Microsoft's like, hey, we got this new IP. And he's like, mm-hmm. ooh, I'm, I'm going to go check that out real I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. This would leave the studio in a scramble to find a clear direction to go when developing Halo 2. Eventually, Halo 2's development had an all-hands-on-deck approach, and the Oni and Phoenix team were brought in to finish the game. Unfortunately, at this point, the third act of the game had to be completely cut in order to ship the game on time. Bungie would spend months working 16 to 20 hours a day in order to finish Halo 2. If Bungie wasn't able to not only ship Halo 2 on time, but make it a commercial success, Bungie would fail as a studio and could potentially go under. And we talked a little bit about this with Infinite. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like they're going to have... They've had time, but I don't think they've had time. So I'm really worried Mm -hmm. about the same kind of crunch sequence of years later they go, oh yeah, we cut... 30% 30% of the game. Yeah, we, we had a long discussion about that recently, but I mean, you know, it, it's crazy, like, hopefully, because I think gaming culture is pushing away from this kind of crunch, because remember, I think, you know, in our Halo 2 episode, by the way, we're going over a lot of stuff we covered in Halo 1, 2, and 3. Check out those episodes if you want a lot more in-depth of the game development itself, but, like, Paul Bertone said that he slept in his office for, like, two months, and he, like, he kenneled his dog for a month. He said the few times he'd go home... He wouldn't remember how he got there half the time because mm-hmm. he was you know, so sleep deprived, so and tired. And that's terrifying to yeah. do that. But I mean, at, you know, the the company was just just at an all time low with this. But the Phoenix Project actually was going to be a game similar to Minecraft, but with RTS elements. Mm-hmm. I think that's a lot of really what Jason Jones says. He like compares it to Minecraft, but doesn't at the same time. It's it's odd how he always phrases and it. And then Microsoft went. Minecraft is now mine, and bought it. (laughs) But despite Bungie's ambitions almost being their demise, they were able to ship Halo 2, which was an overnight success. Though this left the studio at an all-time low, as I had said. Employees would look to Halo 2's ending as a monument to complete and utter failure. Some didn't know if Bungie could go on afterwards. The studio's enthusiasm was almost gone entirely when it came to develop another game, but they had to. Bungie owed it to themselves and, more importantly, the fans to create Halo 3 and to end the Master Chief's story. The Halo community had grown beyond Bungie's wildest expectations since the 90s, and now more so than ever, they wouldn't let them down. Halo at this point was synonymous with mainstream culture. Jason Jones was actually named one of the most influential people of 2005 by Time Magazine. And then around 2005, Dan Miller would join Bungie. So Halo 3 was nothing short of Bungie's hard work coming together to end the story of their beloved Master Chief. Once again, the studio would have buckets of cash thrown at them by Microsoft to develop the game, but no real clear direction or leader since Jason Jones had left the studio shortly before Halo 2 shipped. Marty O'Donnell would even describe the start of Halo 3 as clumsy. With the drama and uncertainty in the office, Matt Hoberman would leave Bungie in 2005 to go start Certain Affinity, who helped develop content for the Halo franchise for years to come. Yeah, and we talked with Areo about this a bit, and he was just talking about how 
there was no clear-cut leader. Mm-hmm. Like, there were department heads. You know, you had, like, the arts department, the graphics department, all these different departments that were part of it, but no one talked to each other. Mm-hmm. And there was, like, no, like, real, like, producers to bring everyone together and everything like that. Yeah, so some, so multiple teams might be working on the same project, but not know that the other teams are working on it. Mm-hmm. And when they're, like, water cooler talking, like, hey, what are you guys working on? Oh, we're working on, you know, the Warthog doing this. They go, we're doing that. We're, and then there's, like, no, we aren't. And then they just throw water at each other. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> it. That is a wet t-shirt contest. <laughs> but no, then, then they have to, you know, one or, or multiples of them have to scrap what they're doing, mm-hmm. kind of combined it. You know, they're all kind of taking their own spin on it. So it was just kind of a, a chaotic pit. Even though they had the numbers, they had the facility, they had the backing, they just had no one to kind of bring the entire crew of the ship together. Mm-hmm. But even with that said, Bungie would start to implement ways to decrease crunch time in development after Halo 2, which is something I think everyone's trying to do now is make sure mm-hmm. that people aren't working 20 hours. They knew that this would be a process that would take years, but they needed to make their employees happier. With the studio coming together to look at Halo 3, Bungie was looking farther than that. Negotiations would start after the release of Halo 2 in order for Bungie to become an independent studio, free from Microsoft once and for all at this point. Mm-hmm. After some negotiations, Bungie would come to terms with Microsoft, and here are the terms for you. They would release three more Halo titles, and then move on. Yep, and one of those was Halo 3, yes. which they had planned on doing regardless. Yeah, so this is, a, this is right after Halo 2. They're like, okay, we're going to talk about this. We're, you know, we, we're the top dogs. Mm-hmm. We're fantastic. We want to get out of here, though. And, you know, Microsoft's like, no, 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 we haven't, we haven't milked this cash cow enough. <laughs> yeah. We need three more from you. And then we're going to make another studio out of you and milk it even more. <laughs> mm-hmm. And originally, these titles would have been Halo 3, a middle game, which I love that that's Jesse's note, and Halo 4. Well, they described it in an interview, I think Marty did, as a middle bucket. He said we had to give him three buckets, so he said he would always describe it as the second bucket or the middle bucket. I don't know why buckets, but... All right, so... I thought game sounded better than bucket. So ODST is a bucket, just so you guys know. (laughs) Bungie luckily was in talks with Peter Jackson's new studio, Wingnut Interactive, and around 2006, they talked to help to get the development of a new Halo title. This would mean that the bulk of the quote-unquote middle game's development wouldn't be on Bungie's shoulders, so they're trying to like, you know, pan it off, kind of like hire someone else to kind of help them with it. This game was going to be known as Halo Chronicles. The plot of the game would be a regular UNSC soldier that eventually would transform into a Promethean after coming into contact with alien technology. The soldier would eventually transform entirely and, quote, become the bullet. A good chunk of Bungie's core Halo team would actually be working on Chronicles and the movie, which went along with it, because Peter Jackson's like, we gotta do it all, baby. Gotta do it all. Uh, Instead of Halo 3. So it kind of defeated the purpose of them pushing it outside well, the studio. I mean, I think it was just more like the writers and whatnot. Yeah. It wasn't so, and, and some guys, but I mean, I think at this point, you know, if you have 75 employees and you take 10 of them away, then you're still not taking the majority of the studio with it. Well, yeah, you could also take like 32 of them away and you're still not taking the majority <laughs> of the studio. Okay, f- fair, <laughs> fair enough. But I mean, um, and of course, I always reference this when people say, well, you know, Bungie had thought about doing Prometheans too when people defend the Prometheans. It's like their Promethean, which wasn't even their actual Promethean, was basically Wingnut saying, let's make the character a literal missile, and he just flies through the air and goes into ships. If you want more details on this, go listen to our cut Halo Games and Concepts episode. 
But yeah, overall, you just became a missile. Mm-hmm. So both were equally lame. So, you know, now coming off that rant, Bungie would still have to put in the usual grind for Halo 3's development, but it pales in comparison to the grind of Halo 2. The studio was hell-bent on never allowing themselves to fall so low again. Instead, they wanted to come out of Halo 3's development stronger than ever, and they did just that. With years of marketing and hype, Halo 3 would become the biggest media launch event of the time. And as Alex had said, a Halo movie was actually going to be produced in parallel with the Chronicles game centered around the Master Chief's origins. Unfortunately, after Microsoft failed to greenlit the movie and Bungie and Wingnut butting heads on the Chronicle games, both products would fall by the wayside and eventually be shut down. Now, Bungie was having to scramble now after this to create that quote-unquote middle game, a game that they could produce around a year. Luckily, the minds of Joe Statton, Paul Bertone, Marty O'Donnell, and a few other employees would come together and create their idea for Halo 3 ODST. They were able to use Halo 3's existing engine and assets in order to build the game in almost a year. For employees who were able to work on the game, which was around 20, it was a breath of fresh air. They were able to create a game with complete and utter freedom. A lot of employees on the project would state that ODST was their favorite project that they had ever worked on. Remember, Marty had said this is the first Halo game developed by Bungie employees before they were technically Microsoft employees. Mm -hmm. Right after the release of Halo 3, Bungie looked to develop their final Halo game. And at this time, Peter Jackson's company was going to be developing the middle game. Yeah, so we're we're jumping back a little bit in our timeline that we just presented. Yeah. Unlike Halo 3's development, from the beginning, clear leadership would be established when Marcus Leto would become the creative director for the project. In April of 2010, Bungie would sign a 10-year publishing deal with Activision. Now that Bungie is kind of, you know, finding their way, getting another publisher, Mm -hmm. they can finally start to release future games on any and all platforms instead of just staying married with Microsoft. Mm -hmm. Bungie spent nine months working on this deal with Activision, trying to, you know, peace out. And because we we had known that Jones had been doing a secret project and getting some stuff set. So Mm -hmm. when they presented to Activision, it's like, hey, uh, we actually already have a game. You know, type thing. Uh, (laughs) We guess I'm coming for you. Bungie wanted to work with a company that had experience in producing grand universes along with cross-platform releases. This was a $500 million deal to produce four games. And over the course of about 10 years. Mm -hmm. Bungie would release Halo Reach, the third bucket of it, on September 14th, 2010. Development for this game would be a far departure from any Halo game of the past, with clear leadership and new best practices implemented during development. Bungie would see less crunch time than they had ever seen before, and development of future titles from the studio were looking bright. Halo Reach, however, as a game, would go down as Bungie's most controversial, a.k.a. the worst game ever, of the Halo universe. <laughs> well, we're, we're keeping our biases out of this, of course. Of My course. bias is fully in this. <laughs> Written in blood on these <laughs> notes. So by the end of their time working under Microsoft, Brian Gerard would state that Microsoft did help Bungie in many ways, leading the studio to grow stronger than ever, allowing them to create the iconic game and pop culture franchises that is Halo. So though other sources would state that Bungie would hate working under Microsoft a majority of the time that they were an internal company for them. So, I mean, really, this wasn't like the Activision deal they had where it was just like, this is when a game needs to be released. They're like... We don't like the story. You have to change it or anything like that. Like, you have to charge this much for the game. You have to do X amount Mm -hmm. of DLC, things like that. 
So Ed Fries would state that Microsoft acquiring Bungie was the greatest investment for Microsoft in their Xbox, saying that without Halo, the Xbox would have failed. 100%. Fries even states that, that Master Chief is Xbox Mario. And I also do want to add in that Bungie announced to, or the, the higher-ups at Bungie announced to the rest of the employees, like, hey, we're, we're done with Microsoft. We're an independent uh, studio once more. The the whole room like cheered. It was like over a hundred people because they had that giant theater, and I think that's just so crazy that they like they hated it so much that it was like oh cool like they cheered mm-hmm. like they all screamed they threw their hands up. I think that's amazing because I think that is probably such a satisfying moment with Bungie. But I also remember that it was instantly like. We're going to start cutting back on things, though, because I think at one point they had to tell employees, like, we know you're going to get new computers this year, but uh, you can't right now. Yes, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the reality of it. I mean, it's it's kind of like, do you live with this kind of corporate thing you hate, but they can fund all your projects? Or do you kind of go rough and tough on your own, but now you're all self-funded? Mm-hmm. I mean, you are funded by Activision to a point, but you're still self-funded in everything else that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And now for the title that Alex thought of. Destiny away. No. <laughs> I just Jesse just asked me. He's like, I just thought of this title. I was like, I want to steal it. <laughs> anyway, Destiny awaits. So, as clearly as a pun as that is, we are now making our way to the thought of what is going to become Jason Jones's new child, mm-hmm. Destiny. Yeah, we're jumping back a little bit. Yeah. So after the panic and grind of the Halo Two development, Jason Jones would take a sabbatical to Asia and leave Halo 3's development up to the rest of the team. He also spent much time tending his lovely, lovely garden. And he says, quote, It sounds crazy, but your backyard is a pretty amazing place to be when you haven't seen it in a couple of years. I spent a bunch of time just being normal. And Jones had actually said to Harold Ryan a week before Halo 2 had shipped, quote, I don't think I'm coming in anymore. And with Harold Ryan replying, Yeah, stay home. Jones stated, My presence could actually have made things worse. I'd push people to do one more thing. Jones was unsure whether he could ever develop another game again. Though around 06-07, Jones would return to Bungie to start on his next project, Destiny. Some would think that Jones didn't fully return revitalized to Bungie. David Dunn would state that Jones spent five hours working on the final jump for Halo 3's final mission, but Jones felt that the game's final moment needed to be perfect, and brushed off any and all worries. Yeah, remember, he did work a little bit on Halo 3, and I think Eric Arroyo told us that he always had kind of at least, he would oversee mm-hmm. 3 uh, ODST and Reach just to be like, oh, you should try that, or you know something like that. So he did have even a passive hand in the yeah, development. Yeah, I, I think you know he's that personality where he can't not be a part of it. Like It's still yeah. like part of what he's doing mm-hmm. like the final jump and i know because he had brought that up before he's like i'm disappointed in how halo 2 kind of was i want to make sure that this is going correct mm, i gotta make sure that literally the last thing you do on your controller is perfect mm-hmm. bungie spent a lot of time quote-unquote soul searching when it came to creating destiny from the beginning bungie wanted to make the gameplay for their next ip stand out though like working under microsoft bungie would not have total freedom with their new ip Activision would have a hand in milestones, releases, etc. And Destiny was going to be different than Halo. Halo was developed game by game, but Bungie was looking to develop Destiny's entire franchise in mind for its 10-year history, which I, I do kind of like that idea. Instead of going game by game, they're like, 
we know the beginning, middle, and end. Yes, and and you, you have a lot of game franchises doing that now mm-hmm. that want to kind of tell the story that are kind of building those environment, mm-hmm. and and it it worked out for them part of it, but you can see how if any of you ever played Destiny and have tried to follow the story, how it's almost like all right, here's all of this that you need to know about it, but we're not building on it. So try and digest it, but also don't look at these loopholes that we found and also don't look at these, these plot holes. Don't look too deep. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's definitely grand, and I'm, I'm glad that they went for it. I'll say that. And I'm glad that they went for it, so I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah. So Activision's CEO, Bobby Kotick, told investors that Destiny was going to be the best-selling new video game IP in history. Okay, bud. No, and, and obviously you have to say that. Because they're like, hey, we got the dudes made Halo. They made Microsoft their gaming console. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, you know, we'll, we'll go a little bit into that at the end of this. But listen, guys, I got you Bungie. <laughs> it's going to be big. It's going to be the Mario Master Chief of giant MMORPG shooters. <laughs> Let me tell you. So Jason and other employees actually made a handful of mini RPG games to test the water for Destiny. So Bungie would move to a new studio during the end of Reach's development. The new studio was formerly an old cinema. By the end of Reach's development, there were 130 Bungie employees working on the game. By 2014, Bungie had over 500 employees working on Destiny. The new office seemed to incorporate much of Bungie's current culture, most notably having an indoor climbing wall on the main floor of the office. That sounds right up your alley. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, you can take the elevator like a, like a lazy person, take the stairs like you're trying to be fit, or you can climb to it. No harness. That's Which right. one do you want? That's what I'd be doing. <laughs> when Bungie first started working on Destiny, Natasha Tartarchuk, who is an engineer, didn't think that they'd ever fill the office with four or 500 employees. So, you know, eventually they did. So to put it all in scope, the first Destiny had 200 engineers alone. Mm-hmm. Now, when we're, we're talking about the 130 Bungie employees, we're talking about also like Brian Gerard and Luke Smith, all those guys in like the marketing and whatnot. This is just people hands on the game. We're mm-hmm. not talking about people doing everything else. So that's crazy amount of growth in such a little amount of time. Yeah. Destiny would officially start development in the summer of 2009 with a team of only five people. They look to recapture what Halo did, tell the story of a grand universe, and bring fans together to play in it. Bungie was also looking to shift the culture at the studio. No one had an office, and every desk had wheels, because your role could change in an instant, moving you to a new department, and no good ideas would be ignored. Bungie would also start to enforce their employees take vacation if they had remaining days. Engineers were giving 40 PTO days a year, but most were t- weren't taking any at all yeah which first of all 40 whoa 40 days like that's ugh. let's go work for bungie let's go get their freaking pto that's all you need right there <laughs> luke timmons would claim that destiny would be the last game they would ever have to crunch on and that all of the dlcs were done with no long hours worked by employees that's a lie though mm, true <laughs> marcus Leto would leave bungie in 2012 due to the long hours the studio was putting into destiny hmm, we're starting to see a pattern here mm-hmm. hmm. to help the network for destiny get up and running bungie bought a data center in las vegas 
They did this due to the fact that there were almost never any natural disasters in Las Vegas. Uh, <laughs> all until about recently. So mm, Yeah. Uh, but Bungie would now find themselves in an odd place creating Destiny. Because during Reach's development, they needed to create the greatest game they ever created. But, you know, they're developing Destiny around the same time. So they were also creating a Halo killer. Mm -hmm. So they were. it was just so weird. They're like, we want to make this the best thing ever. But they're like, but we're already planning this game that's supposed to be better than this game. And not even just to trump it, but to kill it. So, mm -hmm. so bizarre. Jamie Grismere would also leave Bungie in 2010. So during Destiny's development, Bungie's IT department would go through 300 service tickets a day. Bungie had 23 people in their 24-hour center catching any bugs and crashes. Engineer lead Roger Wolfson would actually sleep under his desk a few weeks after a game would ship, ready to fix new bugs that would come his way. That's crazy. That's dedication. You gotta love your job, and they gotta be paying you like six figures or something to sleep under your desk for weeks at yeah, a time. I'd be fine with it. <laughs> so Destiny's development was not without its faults. The game itself was delayed twice, originally supposed to be released in the spring of 2013, eventually being pushed back to September 9th, 2014. Many speculated that this was due to Activision making Bungie rewrite the game's story several times, scrapping what Joe Staten would have created for the Destiny universe. Though this wasn't the case, all Activision did was set a deadline for the release date and let Bungie do the rest. It was Bungie higher-ups themselves that disliked Staten's story and led to the rewrites less than a year before the launch. Take that into consideration. Year before the, the, the launch, they had to rewrite the story, and that kind of puts into perspective as to why there wasn't really much of a story. It yeah, was really shallow. It was, it was shallow, and it kind of they really felt like it relied on the community to come up with what the story actually was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this would eventually lead to Staten leaving Bungie in 2013 before returning to Microsoft in 2014 as a senior creative director making too much money. Well, probably he probably earned it. And then some sad news for it. On April 11th, 2014, Bungie would fire Martin O'Donnell without cause, who has been one of their key employees since the 90s. When O'Donnell was fired, they made him forfeit all of his stocks in the company, along with being excluded from the company's profit participation plan. Marty would quickly look to take Bungie to court for his abrupt firing and loss of shares in the company. Martin O'Donnell had signed a contract stating that he would only lose his shares if he had left the company voluntarily. And in 2015, Marty O'Donnell would win the court battle, getting back his shares, but O'Donnell would additionally sue to recover unpaid wages related to overtime. The court also ruled that O'Donnell could not post any music from the Destiny franchise unless he had Bungie's permission. O'Donnell also had to return any copies of Music of the Spheres that he had in his possession at the time. He had also signed a contract, actually, that had said, I'm working here, you know, guaranteed from 2010 to 2020. Mm -hmm. So he also had this contract that's saying, you could not fire me whatsoever. I Like, and, I have to work here. Yeah, and if, if you breached it, it was this, this, this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The issue that led to O'Donnell's eventual firing started when he created the music of the spheres for Destiny. But when the original Destiny teaser dropped in 2013, O'Donnell was quick to let fans know the music that played in the trailer was not his at all, but instead music produced by Activision. O'Donnell, seemingly angry about this, along with Activision pushing back on releasing music of the spheres, caused tension with O'Donnell and Bungie. 
After returning from vacation, the audio staff at Bungie felt that O'Donnell wasn't fully committed to the project anymore. And now official complaints coming from the staff. Here's one. Tweeted it was Activision, not Bungie, that composed the trailer's music. Threatened Bungie employees in an attempt to keep the trailer from being posted online. Interrupted press briefings. There was an overwhelming amount of audio work O'Donnell was not contributing. And members of the audio team complained that O'Donnell was frustrating completion of audio work. So Harold Ryan originally looked to fire Marty, but instead Marty was just given for poor feedback during his yearly review. This would further create tension with Marty and the studio, eventually leading to his termination. Music of the Spheres has since been released and is now considered public domain. This has gone down as one of the darkest chapters in the studio's history. Some would speculate that Bungie as a corporate studio was starting to show their true colors. Because again, remember, Music of the Spheres was like, he looked at this as better than anything he had ever done for Halo because mm-hmm. he had Sir Sir Paul McCartney working on it on the final track as well. Like, it, it was a big deal, and he worked on it for a few years because he didn't have too much to do while uh, Destiny was being developed, sure. so he did that. And then we've talked about before, Marty and his music is, is you know, that's sacred. That's a bond you don't break. And Activision did that, so I can... I mean, I could see why he would be upset. I don't agree with how he went about it if the statements are true that he was, you know, intimidating employees not to post the trailer to the game or anything like that. Now, Bungie would eventually release the first Destiny to the world September 9th, 2014. And fans saw very quickly that it wasn't the true version that the writers had in mind. Bungie was already promoting two DLCs before the game itself had ever been shipped. Bungie would also lock players out of previously available content once they started releasing DLCs, players actually discovered that most of the DLC content was on the game's disc when it released. Yeah, so it's starting that Activision model of start the cash cow, let's see what uh, we do. Pay for it, son, or you don't get this. Yeah, it's pay-to-play type stuff. It's really frustrating. Yeah. In 2015, the expansion pack of The Taken King would be released to the public. And with it, Destiny would see microtransactions via Eververse. This would lead to many to speculate that content was cut from the original game so it could simply be brought back later on as a DLC. But Bungie created the Eververse so that they wouldn't have to release DLC every few months but still make money for Activision. So there is that odd trade-off of, like, uh, mental health money. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of the reality of most games at that Mm -hmm. point. Yeah. So more and more, fans were feeling a disconnect with the studio that years prior often boasted about their relationship with fans and always listening to them when they could. When it came to creating Destiny 2, Bungie looked to the lack of story that it had presented for the first Destiny and wanted to write this wrong. They would look to give more grand story while making the gameplay more appealing to a casual or new audience. Yeah, and, and that's really what they wanted to do was kind of push the reset button. Mm-hmm. And like, oh no, no, this is the game we're supposed to make. Because it's even speculated that it was never supposed to be a Destiny 2. It was supposed to just be Destiny was the game, kind of like World of Warcraft, and it would just be expansions on expansions mm-hmm. on expansions. Yeah. But because of the failures of it and just these odd fall, odd pitfalls they would get themselves into, they actually go, okay, never mind. We are making a second game. <laughs> yeah. And in an early 2016, Destiny 2 would go through a total reboot, replacing the current creative director with Luke Smith. This also meant that the studio had around 16 months to complete the game. The game was more than halfway into development at the time, which 
was a plus side, but also a downside. Yeah. The game's development would start to take a toll on developers continuing to work on only Destiny. So we're kind of seeing that same cycle of like pushing people into making these games like we did it for passion at the start. Now we're just yeah. kind of doing it because we have to. I don't, I don't, I just don't get the logic where at first they hated working on Halo and they had to do it for 10 years. And they're like, we want to leave Microsoft so we never have to be forced to work on one franchise again. And before they're even truly gone from Microsoft, they, they put themselves in a position where they have to do that again. Because we saw before they were releasing a new series every few years back in the day, mm-hmm. which granted it was, it was a lot quicker too, but they kept looking to different series and sure. now they're kind of in this rut. Yeah, and that's really what brought Destiny 2's initial release and DLCs kind of in the forefront of fans yelling at them again. Mm-hmm. Because with their initial release, they were riddled with microtransactions and paid content. With the launch of Destiny 2, fans were let down by the end product since it was a watered-down departure from the first Destiny. A lot of features from the first game were taken out of that sequel. Way to go, Bungie. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's Activision, too, because they're just digging in those claws. (laughs) In a few months after Destiny 2's release, many fans were frustrated because they felt like Bungie was not addressing their concerns. Activision and Bungie also would not release any financial information regarding how much Destiny 2 was making, whether it was from sales, microtransactions, etc., which is a big no-no in companies because even EA has started to do a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. And, and that was with DLCs too. Yeah, and that's one of their biggest aggressors. Yeah. Bungie seemed to have lost sight with what fans wanted with what they were implementing. Bungie would continue to release season pass content and DLC content for Destiny 2 despite fans' initial outrage. Now, in October 2018, Reddit user Anon the Nine would claim that Destiny 3 is in development introducing more hardcore RPG elements, and he said that the game would be released September 2020, so theoretically soon. So that's not happening. (laughs) Yeah, I can promise that isn't. So in January 2019, Bungie would announce that they were parting ways with publisher Activision after eight years. Bungie had to focus on too many deadlines set by Activision rather than having the luxury of releasing a game simply when it was ready we saw that we're seeing that with Cyberpunk, we're seeing that with Doom. So there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. So many speculated that, you know, these deadlines were the reason that Destiny and Destiny 2 did turn out the way that they did. And like their celebration with their separation with Microsoft, Bungie would celebrate the split once again with Activision. So since the split, Destiny 2 has now moved to a free-to-play model and now has since moved from Activision's Battle.net to Steam. Mm -hmm. Bungie would delay a patch for Destiny 2 so that the developers wouldn't have crunch time or wouldn't have to crunch to release it on time, which you got to respect that they are finally starting to say, no, listen, guys, we will patch this game, but we can't do it in the time you want. Well, it boils down to Activision. With Activision and Blizzard merging, you have two powerhouses coming together, production and a content company that are bringing us together. I mean, that's where you're going to find your Call of Duties now. That's where Mm -hmm. you're finding pretty much everything going through it. So whenever you see Destiny 2 drop off your Blizzard launcher, you're like, what is this? And it's kind of interesting to see that actual break and then being able to separate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it is estimated that Activision would lose around anywhere from 300 to $375 million in revenue, which is about 12% of their projected revenue that year. 
But it was rumored that Destiny 2 wasn't making as much money as Activision was hoping for, especially since they could only make money on the games, not merchandise outside of it. So that was clever on Bungie's part. They're mm-hmm. like, you can only do it on the game. This Destiny t-shirt we're selling? Nah, son. So in August 2019... Destiny 2 game director Luke Smith would release Director's Cut, giving fans an insight into Bungie during its development of Destiny 2 and the DLCs. Additionally, in the same month, the old Bungie office that shipped Halo 3, ODST, and Reach would be demolished. The old studio that was once a grocery store turned game studio was torn down to become an apartment complex, putting an end to a historic gaming landmark and bearing a lifetime of Halo memories. Which, it's always kind of depressing to see stuff like that. Like, that is, like, in gaming history, something very iconic. Mm -hmm. And now it's gentrified. And so what's next for Bungie? In October 2019, studio president Pete Parsons would state that by 2025, Destiny will have been transformed into something better than ever before. We'll see. (laughs) Yeah. They also want to become a multi-franchise studio and publishing company. So they want to become Activision. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Bungie is currently working on their next project, Matter, with the help of a $100 million investment from the Chinese investment company, NetEase. Yep. So there's that. So let's talk about some just additional trivia that, you know, I just want to sprinkle in there. For many years on April Fool's, as a prank, Bungie would promote their game, Pimps at Sea. I would still love to play that game. Bungie also would work on a Mac port of the game Abuse. And finally, Bungie published a game, Crimson, through Bungie Aerospace. Now, Bungie Aerospace works to partner up with small and upcoming game development studios to help them publish their work. So, indie studios, get a hold of them. Even though I, I'm pretty sure that's the only game that they ever released, and I don't know if they're still pursuing Bungie Aerospace. But it's still cool to see stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And to give you some more information on, on kind of what happened throughout these years of, of where do people go, what kind of happened out of it, there's a couple of studios that formed from former Bungie employees. To start, we have Wideload Games. It was founded by Alex Seropian in 2003. Wideload would go on to release Stubbs the Zombie, which is fantastic, Rebel Without a Pulse, and Hail the Chimp. Eventually, Wideload would be purchased by Disney, working under Disney Interactive. Under DI, they would release Guilty Party and start work on Avengers Initiative before being shut down by Disney in 2014. In 2012, Alex Seropian, Tim Harris, and Brent Peace would start Industrial Toys. After releasing two games, Midnight Star and Midnight Star Renegade, Industrial Toys would be purchased by EA in July 2018, and they're currently working on a pretty cool untitled project. That's where our boy Eric Arroyo works. Mm-hmm. And, of course, one of the biggest that we know of from them, Certain Affinity. Certain Affinity was founded in 2006 by Max Hoberman, and it acts as a company helping other studios produce content rather than producing original IPs of their own. So they're doing a lot of superlatives, a lot of the extras, like you said, with DLCs. Mm, a lot of that stuff, um, multiplayer, etc. Yeah, and, and they've worked with Valve for like uh, Left 4 Dead and, and plenty of other really cool stuff that they've done. Mm-hmm. Though the company has released two games on their own, Age of Booty and Crimson Alliance, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> the company has gone on to work on franchises such as Left 4 Dead, Call of Duty, and a little bit of Call of Booty, <laughs> Doom, and Halo. So then we have V1 Interactive. Founded in 2016 by Marcus Leto, the studio is currently working on their debut title, Disintegration. Mm -hmm. Uh, That beta just came out recently. Uh, It looks kind of cool. I actually would love to try that game out here soon. Then we have 343 Industries, which is kind of, it kind of did spawn from literally two 
former Bungie employees, but founded by Microsoft around 2007, after the Bungie split from Microsoft, 343 Industries has taken over the Halo franchise from Bungie, releasing Halo 4, Spartan Ops, Assault, Strike, Halo 5, Wars 2, Fireteam Raven, and in 2020, Halo Infinite. They also do all the publishing, everything. So mm -hmm. it's it, they're responsible of literally everything. Yep. Then we have Highwire Games. After Bungie fired Martin O'Donnell in 2014, he, along with Jamie Greismer, and Jared Noftel would start Highwire Games in 2015. The studio just released their debut IP, Gollum, on the PlayStation 4 with the VR headset. And then finally, we have the most recent one, Probably Monsters. Harold Ryan would start Probably Monsters in 2015. After finding core members for two studios, Firewalk and Cauldron, the company is currently developing original IPs. So I think that's crazy. It's hard to get one studio going but the fact that there are two studios under this one banner that mm -hmm. I think he worked on a few years to get some developers from, I think that's crazy. Especially if a guy like Harold Ryan, who started as a QA guy yep. and worked his way to the head of the Bungie studio before leaving, that's so crazy to me. Mm -hmm. Like, that's really uh, working for what you have. 100%. Through and through. And so with that being said, this is a section of our episode. We put the notes down, as you might have just heard in the background. And now we talk about what Bungie means to us. I mean, really, this is a studio that, you know, as we had said in the beginning, has really left its mark in, in, in gaming culture. And I think even mainstream culture. So I would I would like you to start this one, Alex. I mean, what does Bungie mean to you? Yeah, I, I would say Bungie kind of was my childhood growing up. I was always a Nintendo kid played everything growing up from there, didn't really dabble in Sony that much, but played some computer stuff. And then when the Xbox hit, my grandma was actually the first to buy it. She like bought like a like the one gaming console she bought for like kids to come up like when the kids came Every, over. Everyone's grandparents did. I think my my grandparents had the Super Nintendo. Yeah. So <laughs> this is like the only system she ever bought. She's like, the kids played the games, I'll buy it. And I remember playing um squeakers or mouse and squeakers or something. What? what? It was one of the original Xbox IPs where you played as a mouse, you collected cheese. It was really dumb. I don't know what I expected from a game called Squeakers. Yeah, so it was there. Had that. You had all your other classics that started off. And then whenever my friend came over for one of his birthdays, he brought his Xbox. I didn't have one. And brought over Halo CE. And we ended up playing that, I don't know, six, seven hours straight. Just mm -hmm. playing through multiplayer. I didn't even touch the campaign at the beginning. Just played through multiplayer, put on rockets, did a bunch of crazy stuff, and that's really what got me hooked and made me kind of a Microsoft fanboy throughout that. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I don't think I would have really cared. I probably would have jumped over to Sony for a lot of the PlayStation 2 titles that were going to be coming out mm -hmm. and just a lot of the great stuff they had. So that's really what brought me in. And then you have Xbox Live hits. It does okay. There's some games that are kind of cool for it. And you have Halo 2. Halo 2 blew it out of the water. I, I just looked this up. I spent, I think, two or 3,000 hours on Halo 2 alone. yeah. And I'd play that for school every day. I remember waiting a midnight release for it all. Like it was, mm -hmm. it was such a cool, cool time to be growing up with this and to be growing up with these developments. And Bungie really brought that. And, and it's one hundred percent. They Master Chief is the Mario for Xbox. Mm -hmm. If anyone thinks of like Xbox, like what kind of characters do you think of? It's gonna be Master Chief first and yeah. foremost, and and maybe Gears of War. And Those then, are the two. And then, no, and then the Forza car. It's number two, obviously. <laughs> Forza car's number two. 
Um, and then other garbage that Microsoft releases. <laughs> no, it's it's it definitely defined it. It, it saved Microsoft entirely because I mean they had Fable, they had Gears, they had plenty of other titles that did well, but couldn't carry. Mm-hmm. And so having that aspect to it is amazing. And then just the story of the studio alone, being a creative and 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 you know, working on the grind and, and finding any work you can do and, and, and pushing everything into it and working the long hours, it's so cool to see it pay off for someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, someone who, you know, they, they worked at whatever office they could. They made sure it was it was all them and made those creative juices flow and brought an amazing franchise to us all. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Again, I love that idea of, like, them always wanting their autonomy while they do this through and through. I mean... Because, I mean, I'm fortunate enough I work at a place, you know, I work at an office where I, I can wear jeans and t-shirt I can, I, and this hoodie that I literally just came from work from. I wear nothing. <laughs> That's where I you, work. You probably, sh- you probably should wear something. Nope, I'm now wearing nothing. <laughs> but but still, like, and I know people who also work at a cubicle with a button-up and whatnot, and they just, you know, they, they think it's like a ball and chain, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so Bungie always fought for that, you know, in their early years, and... I've always respected that. I've always respected going against the grain. Something like that has you know, it inspired me to to start the podcast and make it what it is because it's, let's let's do something else. Let's let's do something different and let's let's keep you know our own personalities in there the whole time because I think that's what you really need to do. And Bungie did it. As I said, one of my favorite things about Bungie is that Ed Fry is the guy who brought them in didn't even have a key to the office. They were just like, yeah, thanks for the help, and slammed the door in his face because they're like, at the end of the day, you're Microsoft, you're bad, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. When they moved offices, Microsoft employees couldn't even get in. They had, they literally had to schedule an appointment with anyone. That's so crazy to me. But at the end of the day, I think that's something you do when you're headstrong, when you know what you're about, and you know it's like one of those things – Bungie needed Microsoft just as much as Microsoft needed Bungie. If not more. Mm-hmm. I think Bungie, even if Bungie had dissolved, didn't do well, all those guys would have gone to do something. Because they, they produce those Halo games. They're all such talented individuals mm-hmm. with insight into gaming that we saw. So this idea that you know they wouldn't have made something of themselves, I think is pretty preposterous. Because I think at the end of the day... They all would have gone on to do grand things, but even through Microsoft's resources, they were also able to pull in some some pretty talented cats like uh, like our buddy Eric, because he told me that's how he got into it, is he, he got into Bungie through Microsoft. And I think he even mm-hmm. said it was Bonnie Ross at the time who brought him in, who we know is now the head of 343 Industries. So really weird, crazy stuff like that going on. But I mean, as far as, you know, going just beyond the studio and the games they did i mean we started a halo podcast you know because we want to talk and break down the work that bungie created that made us you know love the franchise so much and i mean you know i didn't get into halo until junior year of high school i think when i was 16 or 17 but you know the second i i latched onto it that was it for me you know i started going to the midnight releases of some of the games Mm -hmm. i and it was like you had said Get off, get off of school, um, go straight home, and just play until you sleep. I would wake up in the morning, eat breakfast, and then you know my buddy would come over, and before we would leave for school, I, we would just sit there and play a few matches, like stuff like that. Um, 
it's so hard to recapture that kind of magic. And I think Bungie is a one in a million studio as a whole. I know we said that those guys coming together are amazing, talented individuals, but I think it was just this perfect storm of all these guys coming in. And, you know, at the end of the day, they had their ups and downs, but Bungie still persevered every time. And, you know, there was some controversy with Reach and ODST, but you can't deny that Halo 1, 2, and 3 is one of the most popular game franchises in history, Mm -hmm. you know, especially no denying it for Microsoft. Halo is Microsoft's most popular IP, and it is just one of the most popular IPs of all time. I I love this studio. I think the studio is great, and, and what it means to me is it means everything to me because, you know, it's definitely given me games that I love, it's given me a reason to to want a podcast again because, mm-hmm. you know, I was out the door with my other podcast and I didn't really want to do anything until I thought about doing a Halo one and I contacted you. And, you know, when the first day we started researching for it, just learning more and more about Bungie, I was like, man, I love this studio, especially old school college Bungie. Oh, like, definitely. I, I love it. So, I mean, for me, man, it's also bittersweet that we're done with Bungie now. I mean, it... You know, especially going through Halo 1, 2, and 3, those episodes were amazing. And learning their story, learning what they had to do to produce them. I mean, I didn't want to just move on from Bungie unless we sent, you know, we told a part of their story. Clearly, there's, you know, there's there's over 20 or 30 years of history. Yeah, history now. Yeah, about 30 years that that, that studio has been around. And I just wanted us to share part of their story and say, listen, this is this is the studio that came from a one-bedroom apartment with two guys who, you know, one of which dropped out of college because he loved video games and he couldn't wait to produce one. And now they're, they're you know, I think they have six or 700 employees. They have a rock climbing place in their studio. I mean, they're one of the, the biggest independent studios right now. And they're really trying to change the way that they're doing things, not only for gaming culture, but for their employees in mind, too, to keep their mental health there, mm-hmm. to make sure that they're, they're you know, retaining employees, to make sure that they're happy and forcing them to take their, their PTO. That way they can, you know, have a work-life balance, 40 days of PTO, God knows how many sick days they have, personal days, all that good stuff. But, I mean, overall, I, I'm, I'm, I'm ranting a lot here, but... Bungie is such an awesome studio, and I'll reference again back in the day because that stuff has always inspired me to have this, you know, take no prisoners or take no crap attitude. Especially like when I was coming up in in high school and I was in a lot of crappy bands that a lot of people laughed at. You just you said it doesn't matter. Like you know, I had that stupid high school kid mentality. Like doesn't matter. I'm going against the grain. I'm doing something that I enjoy. For Bungie, it turned into one of the biggest achievements in gaming history mm-hmm. and at the end of the day i uh you know i'm i'm thankful for bungie i'm thankful for what they did and i'm thankful that they gave us an opportunity to do this podcast um now if halo had stopped there this podcast would be done forever but uh as we all know 343 has since taken the mantle of responsibility when it came to any and all things halo but yeah, overall, that was that was our Bungie episode. I was glad we did something like this. I'm glad we did an overhaul of this studio. It was really fun to do. It was really fun to look in and and learn more about them and, and see where they came from in the early years. But yeah, that was it. And, you know, it was a shorter one, but it was a fun one for sure. I I had a lot of fun with this. I mean, would you guys ever want us to do 
one about 343 at any time. Granted, 343 has only been around for a little over 10 years. Bungie at this point has been around for 30, so there's not as much information. I know on some upcoming episodes, we will be touching into their history just a little bit. But let us know what you think about, let's say, Bungie versus 343 as studios. Maybe not so much the work they've done. But what we know of them as studios. Yeah, I, I, I'm really glad we did this. Um, and it's it's been a blast. And also, big shout-outs coming out and thanking our Patreon. So if you as guys don't always. know, we do have a Patreon uh, where we post a lot more of this content coming out with bonus episodes. So if you do want to see something like Bungie v. This Studio or Bungie v. 343 or Why Did 343 Take My Baby? Or I don't know, whatever you guys want. <laughs> Many of those cool things out there. But as always, we want to give a big shout out to our patrons now. And we're going to start off with Angry Canadian, Baby Z, Charles Zitter, Kellen Fung Feliciano, Duststorm, Francis, Grant Dillon, Harvey Chong, Colonel Panic, Tactics, Mood Killer, Mr. Choff, Pasquale Orozco, Skyjack, and ZZ Slipaway. Thank you guys. Our community is continuing to grow, which has been super fantastic, and I'm absolutely loving it. We just had our patron game night, which was super fun. And there's plenty of other content on there with bonus episodes. Uh, we're about to record our post show, and it's just been fun. So check us out. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. We also just launched our print store. Um, so we'll have links in the YouTube description and on our Discord and our social coming soon, where all the prints, if you've seen them, for that were exclusive to patrons, is now available for purchase, as well as some updates to our merch store. Uh, so just want to give a shout-out there. Thank you guys so much and appreciate it. And also shout-out to Eric Arroyo and Dan Miller, who were were awesome. And I had talked to on the phone. I talked to Dan Miller once, and then... Eric, I, you know, Alex and I have talked to a handful of times, and I've, I've talked to Eric too uh, many hours just, you know, not even about Halo. We just kind of trailed off and just had conversations as two dudes just talking about gaming culture, uh, the future of Halo, and everything in between. And I, I can't stress enough. I know I've been shouting him out, but nicest human being on Earth. Alex can attest to that. And we are going to go drive to him and drink a beer with him. Exactly. Hopefully one day. Yeah, and so he's part of Industrial Toys, so check that out. It's mm-hmm. EA, kind of, they're making mobile games with him. So I know he's working on the artwork and a couple other things. We're trying to pry everything we can out of him. He's giving us nothing. So we're going to pry bit by bit. Yeah, we, we tried, and he was just like, eh, eh. That, that was, I'm pretty sure that was verbatim, his response. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and of course, we're on any and all podcast platforms and we're on YouTube. Please subscribe or like or anything that you can do on any of those channels along with, you know, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter or Instagram, join our Discord. The link is in the description for this episode. And if you can't find it for any reason, message us on any of those social channels. We will send it to you gladly. We're really jazzed on our Discord community, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're jazzed. I love that Jesse's description, guys. We are we are ruffled and jazzed about what uh, you I couldn't, you I, ruffians and flappers be doing now. I was gonna say blessed, but I was like, I've never said that, and I will never say it now. So, <laughs> oh, this podcast is going downhill. But join our Discord, message us, hit us up, just join our community. You guys are awesome, except for the ones of you that suck. I don't like you, but you know what? Keep listening. (laughs) But with that being said, I am your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. Thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. Halo. It's finished. No. I think we're just getting started.